0: Just some preface remarks that I wanted to make, um, you know, since probably, I don't know, February, uh, late February, March. I've just had something inside me I hadn't been able to get rid of in my prayer life. and uh, It's a good word to use, maybe would be ill at ease, and I've talked about that a bit, and it's for our nation. I can't shake it, and I felt that other people feel the same way. How many have felt that uneasy, like, what's up? Yes or no? Yeah, so some of you. Uh, anyway, I've had that, and... Um, I still have those concerns. I really encourage you to uh, be praying for our country. We're we're in desperate need. Uh, We're not doing well. And I've said enough about that on Sundays and such. So really, we have started a prayer meeting Monday through Thursday, um, 12 to 1. And um, I just read a thing from uh, John Kilpatrick yesterday uh, that he's the one that was in the Pensacola, the Assemblies of God there. That, um, that had the revival from 1995 to 2000. He started praying for revival, for a move of God. Here's what he said. He said, I made a decision. I'm going to pray if nobody shows up but me. And he said many times he was in his church by himself praying. Prayer is the catalyst for God to do something fresh. How many hear that? So if you want God to do something fresh in your life, pray. If you want God to do something fresh in your church, pray. If you want God to do something fresh in your nation, pray. So we've dedicated uh, 12 to 1 Monday through Thursday. We're off on Fridays uh, to pray for our uh, country and uh and specifically for God to, to bring another awakening in the nation. There is no, there is no politician that can solve our problems. We're in debts that we can't pay back. And you know that's true if you've done any reading. And then the politicians are at ill, uh, Ill at ease with one another. Our culture, we're at each other's throats. And a lot of things are going on that none of us like. And uh, society in general has, uh, is in a morass of, uh, and a downward spiral of just really, I don't even know how a term to use it, except just a big mess. So I want to really encourage you to pray for our leaders, pray for our president. Some things that believers don't realize, prayer does more than you ever know. And because you can't see the um, immediate effects of prayer, most people don't pray much at all. And if you don't pray much at all, the devil loves it, because that means the flesh can have its way uh, the culture around you can get into your life. You'll you'll be an easy prey for the world, the flesh, the devil, and all of that. So, but if you do pray, it's like you arm yourself, and there's power that comes from the kingdom of heaven into your life, and there are angels of God that assist you. Don't forget Jesus uh, two times specifically in Scripture, and you can kind of use this as a benchmark. Firstly, when he when he was fasting. Uh, before he started his ministry, after he was baptized by John the Baptist, he was in the wilderness and didn't eat anything for 40 days. Don't do that unless God tells you to do it. He, he did that out of obedience to God. He did drink water. But uh, after that, the angels came and strengthened him. And then in the garden of the Gethsemane, and he's, you know, the, uh, the capillaries under the surface of the skin burst under great duress and pressure and stress because he knew he'd be separated from God for our sin. Uh, And after that experience of prayer, uh, the angels came and strengthened him. Now, you know, if they did that for Jesus, he'd use nothing during his ministry that's not available to us. And when you pray, you can't, you don't know what's happening, but what you're doing, you're enforcing the kingdom of God. In your children, in your marriage, in your home, in your finances, in your business, in your personal life, in your experiences, in your driving on the belt line. For somehow, somehow that car just didn't hit you that time. That crazy person that's not looking, they're looking at their phone, right? I mean, so pray, y'all, pray, and God do something big. So I do feel this really, i feel in real angst for our next election. I'm trying to hurry. Uh, don't feel like it's going to go well unless the saints really speed up the praying. So First Timothy 2.1, pray for authorities, pray for Donald Trump. I don't care if you like him or not. A lot of things that Donald Trump does, I don't like, but I don't care. A lot of presidents do things I don't like, and I pray for them, right? But I never talk negatively about a president. That's not my job. My job is to pray for him. Whether I agree or disagree. I mean, you know, I don't like the vitriolic words that I hear, phrases that are used, the attacks and such. And, you know, I don't like all that either. But you know what? I know how to pray. And if you know how to pray, you've got to do something big. So uh, I've made a commitment to pray for our country. I pray for the congressmen, the senators, Supreme Court justices, judges uh so uh federal judges all over the nation mayors uh, governors pray for these people when you do that you're enforcing the kingdom of god when you don't do that the demonic forces of of just oh my gosh deception come in and there's such deception today which leads me to another point if we're not willing to and i'm preaching on sunday a little bit strong i get it but you know what uh, if we're not live, willing to walk with God in a pure, serious way today, then you will be a person that will fall for the deceptions that are coming. If you, don't, if, you, if you don't walk with God, if we, if I don't walk from God, it from my heart now, then I won't even understand. I won't have the discernment because of the way things are and, and the things that are coming yet to come. I won't have the discernment to know the false from the truth. How many hear me? It's the first thing Jesus said. Uh, take heed that no man deceive you when they ask him about the time before he's coming. So it's really a real time to pray and seek the Lord. And um, I know, I'm, again, I'm, I'm speaking rather strongly on Sundays about issues that face our country. And I found this out. Somebody just mentioned it. Steve, or somebody said something. Uh, uh, and I've noticed this uh, just that I read a lot from different areas and such that people are starting to talk about holiness now. Have y'all noticed that? It's kind of like what's going, on? and I didn't read anybody. I didn't read after anybody. I didn't get my Sunday messages from anybody. All I can tell you, I've been is that I've been praying, and it's like this stuff comes to me, and I got all these notes I've already made, and it's like I got to do this all over again. And and God's wanting us to go here. He's wanting to do something in our nation, and I feel it. And I just read, I just read an article from Michael Brown yesterday that was freshly written. He said uh, he did. He said, it's not happened yet, but he sees signs, signs that people are beginning to wake up and, oh, my Lord, we better pray. And they're just signs. He was instrumental in the Brownsville revival back in 1995, and he says, he, we're not there yet, but he says, beginning to see just the, the smallest signs that people are beginning to get serious in prayer, just as they did just prior to that big move of God that really, you know, millions of people were affected by that, if you remember, and that was over 20 years ago, so... Uh, wow. So, so anyway, great things. Time to pray. Time to seek God. Uh, let's see what else I have here. Um, th- there is a, I'm, I'm really concerned about the next election, um, regardless of who wins. And I'm not talking politics here, and I'm not talking Republican or Democrat. Uh, but uh, I'm really concerned about whatever happens there because, uh, because we've lost our ability to be nice to each other. Used to be the golden rule, do to others as you would have them do to you, you know. Uh, Again, uh, I started, I don't have time, but I was reading that history book again today a little bit that I've been reading. And and it talked about uh, the formation of our country. Uh, There was just an, an undercurrent of, you know what, honor God with your life, do the right thing even though it's uncomfortable. That was kind of an undercurrent that kept us together that's missing, and that's why we need to do the right thing, whether other people do or not. You do what you're supposed to do uh, uh, in the simple things. If you're at the grocery store and you're putting the, bu- the, uh, the uh, goods in your car, and and you want to leave the cart like everybody else, so it'll scratch somebody else's car, get your hiney in over there and stick it where it's supposed to go. I almost left mine because I was busy one day and it was raining a little bit, and the Lord said, "Don't you to do that, boy." So you go over there. I'll put it up. You know, God. If you obey God in the small things, how many know He'll bless you in the big things? But if you disobey God in the small things, it's the little foxes, foxes that that ruin the grape. The grapes. So just to, just something to think about, right? So anyway, um, uh, let's see. I think that's all I'm going to mention about all that. We've got just so many different kinds of people in our church. People in our Single digits, uh, teens, 20s, 30s, 40s, 50s, 60s, 70s, and 80s. I don't know of anybody that's over over 90 here. Maybe somebody can tell me. But I was just saying that people have different ideologies, ideals, ideas about life, what we should do, what we shouldn't do. And a lot of that, how many know a lot of that is based on how old you are? Is that true? So give other people space and grace. How many hear that? That went over real big. How many can do that? So i got a couple of emails here. I want to read these, and then if you have questions, we're going to call this Pastor Talk for those that may be new, and we'll just talk. So that's what I'm doing tonight. i got one email here uh, that says, could you address domestic abuse? And um, so, yes, I can uh, address domestic abuse. What does that mean? What counts as abuse? Does victory have a policy to protect and care for victims of domestic abuse? Well, the answer to all that is yes, 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 we do. Um, So uh, how many know God ordained marriage? And God wants you, if you're married, to stay married lifelong. That's his best. How many would agree with that? Malachi 2, God hates divorce and marital division because it hurts people. And so, you know, however, having said that, there are people who choose to make wrong choices and wrong decisions. Uh, there are two uh, clauses uh, in the New Testament where, where where there is a biblical reason for divorce, two biblical reasons. One is adultery. And I've talked to many people who are the suffering victims of an adulterous spouse. And, and so they feel victimized and they feel it hurts. And it's hard to get over that hurt. And you know, if if you've been there we got people in a congregation there now that have been there. And that hurts and it It just takes time to get over that, and God understands that. So they're innocent victims of divorce if your spouse has committed adultery. Having said that, over the years, I've been in ministry since 1981, most flagrant example. Here's a lady, she's probably 75. She's one of my counselors in Tulsa, Oklahoma, and her husband was an ex He was a high-ranking military official, may have been a colonel or something. But, I mean, when you saw that man, he was still, he was in his 70s, but when you shook his hand, you shook a man's hand. Okay, and uh, and, but you know what? She took me aside one day when I was a little boy. I was probably twenty five, six, probably twenty six. And said, you see that man I said, that's a miracle. And she said we had a problem. And she told me that he committed adultery against me. And she said, God told me to stay with him and believe God. And he repented of his sin. And he got on his face and asked God to forgive him and ask her to forgive him. And somehow they got their trust back. Now, that usually doesn't happen. How many hear me? There's exceptions to every rule that you want to make. So again, they're innocent victims to divorce. Second reason for uh, divorce is desertion by the unbelieving party. That is, if you're a Christian and your spouse is a non-Christian, and they say, say, it's either Jesus and me. Because if you stay in with Jesus, I ain't staying with you. And some people do that, and I've had... Cases where people have done that, and uh, Scripture says if they do that, let them go. You're not in bondage in such cases. God's called you to peace. However, if you can live together in peace, and your spouse is either not saved or not walking with God as they should, that's best for the children's sake. Yes or no? Because there's a, because there's a spirituality in the home, and there's an atmosphere of godliness, and there's the salt and light of the believer's life in the home as, as long as the believer's there, even if the unbeliever is there, if the person... I call an unbeliever a person who is not walking with God flagrantly or a person who says they're a believer, but they don't act like one. Have you ever met a person who says they're a believer, but don't act like one? Yes or no? I'll talk about that Sunday. Come back. So anyway, So there's a lot of differentiations with that. So the abuse situation, I mean, y'all... I've heard, I've you know, maybe it's the reason I don't have any hair because I had to deal with all that. I don't know, but um, it's just so many situations that people have to deal with. How do you define abuse? Well, if somebody's beating on you, even a dog, smart enough, if he goes to the food bowl and you go hit him every time he goes for the food, he's not coming back to the food bowl, right? So if somebody hurts you physically... Uh, in some way, then, then God doesn't expect a believer in the name of doing what's right to stay in a situation where they could be harmed physically, either the spouse or the children. How many understand that? You got that. And then, so here's where you, the gray line is um, mental and emotional. How do you define mental abuse? Now, I've done a lot of reading on this. It's really hard to define mental abuse. Can I get real? In some ways, all of us are called to endure mental and emotional abuse. That is, we are called to suffer persecution. Yes or no? Now, when it comes to domestic things, where do you draw the line? With a spouse that's way, way out of kilter with how, what they do, with their responses, with manipulation, with control. Well, those are gray areas, and if that's a situation in, in a person's life, they need some outside, another outside person. I would say a person on the pastoral staff of the church that they attend to come and just walk them through, and, and you just need another opinion outside of yours because emotions are there, and there's a lot of situations, and you know, just, just to get the ins and outs of what's going on. So, I, uh, so for me, for emotional slash mental, Abuse, you know, when it gets to the point that it's hard for a person to live, the bills aren't being paid, responsibilities aren't being taken care of, children are being deeply affected, uh, home life is is just messed up in a tremendous way. How many know it's time to have some intervention and do something? And I have told people, you know, I can't tell you what to do. If I tell you if I tell you to leave your spouse, I might get beat up one day by your spouse. So I'm not going to tell you. Well, I can't make those decisions for you. But you know what? You know I can encourage you to say, look, I love you to pieces, I want to spend the rest of my life with you. I got this from Chip Judd. But if you're gonna do that, I'm gonna find another location till you change. And when you change, let me how many get that? So, you know, that's hard to define. You need some outside intervention, some counsel and such. We provide that. So for domestic abuse situations, there are people that are just simply out of kilter with manipulation, control, all that kind of thing. They come to church smiling, but behind closed doors, they are Dr. Jekyll, Mr. Hyde, and it's real bad. You got it? So. Anyway, i got all kinds of examples, and I'm taking too long on that. But we do have a domestic abuse policy. I don't mind. I'll talk to any person. We'll talk to any couple. Often the offending party don't want to talk to anybody. That's a problem. But that doesn't mean it can't be dealt with in a correct way. Then sometimes you've got people that need restraining orders against them. And we've actually have policies here. If somebody's being harmed at home and they're afraid that somebody's coming to church, going to go to the children's ministry, going to come in here and try to raise a ruckus, you won't be doing that here. I'll just tell you, you, won't do that here. We won't let you. And then we won't let somebody else come and just pester someone like a mosquito or like a horsefly and just aggravate them because they want to come to church. How I many know there are personalities in the world that, that will do that? They just got enough devil in them to make everybody else's life hell on earth, right? So we take care of all that. You got that? So anyway, that's an answer to that. If you have issues with that and Problems along those lines, feel free to come and see us. We, I talk to people, my staff team can, and we just want to help and bless. Here's another email I got, and uh, this one's kind of long, so I got to condense. So, uh, summarizing, uh, here's the first question as more signs become evident of the impending return of the Lord, what's what's the prayerful mindset Christians should have regarding the rapture in the context now they? must know a little bit about the Bible, the pre-tribulation, mid-tribulation, post-tribulation, rapture. What about all that? Are we going to be removed from here? Um, Do we stand our ground as the shining lights in the midst of a reverse darkness and chaos? Or do we stock up and flee to the mountains? There's a lot of preppers, right? So what do we do? Real quickly here, and I I could spend the rest of the time on this, but I won't because I'm teaching on end times and such. And you can you can come and see me, talk to me after service here. I'll be glad to fill in the details here. I changed my view on the rapture of the church about nine years ago. After much study seeking God, after believing a certain way for, you know, 20, Lord, and more than that, 30-something years, preaching it for 25 years, I had to eat crow and change my tune. I believe that we're going to see the Antichrist manifest. It's not going to be nice. I'm not sure how deeply the persecution will affect us, but it could And so you just need to be ready for that. There's nothing in the Bible that says that we're immunized from the persecution of men. Yes or no? There's nothing in Scripture that says God saves us from the persecution of people. And the first part of this seven years that's coming... of. of hell on wheels, so to speak, on earth is really the Antichrist making it hard for Jews and Christians to live in certain parts of the world, and it may be here. We're not immune from that, so, you know, there'll be a peace treaty with Israel and all that, and the Antichrist will manifest in the Middle East, and how that affects us is yet to be seen and known, but, uh, but uh, I, I honestly think we'll be here for part of that, where there's an event called the Day of the Lord, when really the wrath of God comes against all of his enemies, and that's when nature turns violent, terrible things happen on the earth. Uh, Revelation 8 on talks about that. We're not going to be here. The rapture's going to happen. So I believe in the pre-wrath rapture of the church should you prep here's what i think because of the volatility of the volatility of the times and just because storms are going to get more uh, are going to rage more and, and and nature will rage more than perhaps it has in our past you know i have advocated this for years and i do this myself you know have a couple of weeks supply of food on hand at home how many know that's smart uh you know when susan had babies we had a bug out a bug out bag And people in the army have a bug out board. The armed services have a bug out bag. That means if I'm at home and they say I got to be deployed, they got a bag they take and run because it's got the goods they need for right now. Right? So just have enough food for you know for your family for I'd say two or three weeks, three weeks. So what, ha- what happens if electricity doesn't come on? What happens if something curtails commerce because the roads are not passable somewhere? Uh, you, most uh, grocery stores have less than a three-day supply of food. You can go buy what you want tonight, but what if there's disruption? It stops rapidly. Have some cash on hand. Have ca- you ought to have some cash. So if you can't get to the ATM, you can't use your debit card because there's no electricity, at least you got some dollar bills. I even have, ju- I even have junk silver. If I won't even explain what that I've got some now, no, that's my business, not yours. But I got it. Why? Because if something happens to the currency, I can go buy me some bread and go buy me something to eat. Right? I can feed my mama. She's eighty five. Feed Susan. Feed me. And if you come to my house, we'll have a meal together. Is that good? So should you? Should you? Should you flee to the mountains into a cave? Well, if you do, somebody's going to find you and steal all your food. I don't want to. Listen, I've got a way to purify water. It ain't hard to find this stuff. I can I can stick my little stuff into a creek that's nasty with bacteria and draw fresh water out. Now, those things aren't hard to find. Go get you some. Have you some water at home? Have some bottles of water? Have some big jugs? Just keep stuff on hand. and Don't be the person that's ill prepared when something happens. Now, hopefully, nothing will ever happen. But preparation is pretty smart. Would you agree? Anyway, that's enough of that. Second question, question person. Okay, uh, so should here's the question: Should I vote? Does it matter if I vote? Should I vote? Seems like the whole system's corrupt. I'm somewhere. The whole system's corrupt. So, does it even matter that I vote? Yes, it does. Edmund Burke, generation ago, the only thing necessary for evil to prevail is for good men to do nothing, good men and women to do nothing. So don't, don't sit on your hands and say, you know, come back, Lord Jesus, because you know what? Evil might take over if you do nothing. And I'm convinced there's enough of good people in our country that want to do right. If we'll just raise our voice and let our voice be heard, we can make a difference. How many believe that? So, you know, when you're voting, Uh, You know, don't vote for a political party. I'm just going to tell you straight up, if you do, you're wrong. Vote policies. What does the person believe? Does what they say they're going to do, does it line up with the Bible? Yes or no? I can go into extreme detail. And when I do, some of you are going to look at me and go, Well, I know what you want. No, you don't. You don't know anything about me. I believe the Bible. And when I vote, I say, God, does that person believe this? Does that person believe this? Is that person honest? Or are they just touting a party line? How many hear me? And, and, the, re, and, and the reason things go bad is because Christians don't listen to the Holy Ghost. They listen to their flesh, their other people, and their family members. Anyway, that's enough of that. Hmm. Hmm. Let's think. Y'all get to talk in a minute. And I'm going to talk for now. Then on Sunday mornings, I had this, you know, I had this big thing, 21 lists of things we, we do as Americans a couple of weeks ago, you know. And, you know, a lot of people can't lift like, "Am I saved my Lord. <laughs> so, so out of that, you know, I talked about don't be wearing tight clothes that make the uh, opposite sex lust, right? So uh, here's the question. As Christians, is there such a thing as a context for the clothes we should wear? Question mark. And uh, so this person mentioned they go to the gym. Obviously, a lady goes to the gym, you know, does some Zumba, goes to the gym, maybe puts on yoga pants and all that. And, uh, and uh, so, they said, well, I got to go to the grocery store after I sweat, you know, and I'm at the gym, so I'm going to the grocery store. Is it okay to wear my yoga pants to the grocery store? Well, if you cover your behind up. So here's a general rule. I got four children, and all my children are now married, but I made sure they were godly children, and I ain't messing around, and I don't play. So uh, I told my girls, I got three girls and a boy, and I said, you know, you don't dress provocatively. Uh, you know, a man's sexuality is driven by his sight. You know, uh, Proverbs chapter 5, go read it now. Everybody's going to go home and read Proverbs chapter 5 tonight. Uh, Proverbs 5, Proverbs 6, Proverbs 7 talks about problems with sex. And uh, Solomon's encouraging his child. So anyway, a lot to say there. Uh, but a man's sex drive is like a fountain. It's always there. He just always wants it. And it's, and it's gravitated towards eyesight. So that's why, lay, and a woman's sex drive has to do with relationship. Oh, he likes me. Oh, he treats me nice. See, that's a woman, but she's like a fountain. That's what the... No, I like a well, not a fountain. The man's a fountain, the woman's a well. So, so I say this in regards to clothing, whether you're at the gym or whether you're just, you know, walk, you know, taking a walk on the trails or just whatever you're doing out and about. Don't dress in a way that causes the opposite sex to lust. Huh? So can I be more explicit? So ladies, again, if what you're wearing accentuates the curves in your body... And there's not even a millimeter between you and your clothes. You're probably showing too much stuff. huh? And, you, and you're, you're, ask, you're asking guys, you're forcing guys that want to be godly to turn their head and not look at you. And then the guys that won't and they're going to lust, well, they've got plenty of opportunity with you. Do you want a man looking at your body? Now, if you want a man looking at your body, that's another problem. Yes or no? Huh? A lot of women wear that like a badge. I'm pretty, and I know it. I'm like, oh, that's power. Well, that's the problem. You know what? God needs to humble you, right? So watch men and women. So just dress in a way that you don't tempt the opposite sex. So well, what do I do? Well, put something over it. If you got yoga pants on, put something that goes down to your knees so you don't see your rear end. So men don't. How many get it? Front or back? Men going to look. Have you noticed lately? Men look. Huh? I had two of my, I got beautiful daughters. We were in one of the malls in, uh, in Raleigh's a number of years ago. And y'all, I couldn't, but I, I like to punch this man out. We're walking, and I got one daughter here, one daughter here on each side. And this guy started looking at him, and I watched his eyeballs. They went from head to toe. And then they stopped at the midsection. And then they stopped at the top. And he just, I said, <coughs> excuse me? You know? I told my daughter as I was going to make a, um, I was going to make a business card, and was going to put a big black trench coat on, and a big top hat and black glasses, and do like this. And any time a boy did that, just say, "That's my daddy. Would you please call him?" So yeah. Oh Lord. Hey, go. Yeah, we'll just let, we just watered the carpet. There we go. So anyway, how many get that? So uh, here's another one. Now, this come in Sunday. I'm going to deal with this one because we're going to talk about everything. So somebody wrote this on an on a index card. So, um, so let me just read this because I've been preaching about holiness. And how many know holiness has to do with your heart? Huh? I'm not talking about clothesline holiness. How many get it? Some churches believe don't put any rings on, don't put any makeup on. You know, I say, paint the barn. (laughs) I look at my wife, I say, honey, thank you. I appreciate you looking sweet, pretty for me. You smell good, you look good, you primp your hair, you know, and she puts costume jewelry. I say, thank you, I, I just like that, thank you. That's really nice. That's not what holiness is all about. Now, if you're drawn to all that and everybody's got to see your Gucci this and your you know, Versace this, you know, something's wrong with you, you got, you're full of pride. How many get it? Well, here it is. Everything uh, you are preaching about holiness is good, and we hope it's teaching the congregation, but a lot of us are asking each other, why is this man on the praise and worship team painting his fingernails, toenails, wearing hoop earrings, skull rings on every finger, both hands? We see everyone viewing online. Everybody online sees it too. So y'all know that I'm talking about Chuck. Where's Chuck? Stand up, Chuck. Now, before I read that, I had him come in my office and talk to me. So this is not, you know, he's not blind to this. I said, it's okay to bring this out. I love you, man. So have a seat. So let me just say, when Chuck come to our church, I I said, Chuck, can we talk? I said, talk to me about your tattoo. He's tattooed from stem to stern. I mean, is is that true? No, I hadn't seen under his clothes, and I don't want to. But I have seen his legs because he's got short pants. And what's the name of those creatures on your legs? <laughs> Other oh, guys, what do you call it? It's a, something on T, I forget it. South Park, that's it, anyway, whatever. So anyway, I said, why are you doing that? And what about the fingernails? And what about all the stuff? And he told me why, and I said, all right. And, uh, and so I let him come on the stage, say, why? Well, well, let me tell you about me. Let me tell you about me. So um, when I was a little boy going to church, I was in a denominational church, and in the 60s, everybody wore a tie. Everybody had a nice suit. The wealthy people had silk suits, nice, eel skin shoes. And then the de- deacons, many of them went out on the front porch. They smoked cigarettes, and they cussed the Blue Street. In fact, my best friend was a deacon's son, and he used God's name in vain. The deacon, the head deacon. there ain't something wrong with that. So I had my mind made up, turned 18, I won't be going to that hypocrite place. Because if you're going to be real, be real. If you're not going to be real, why, you're he- why are you here and acting like you are? So Jesus got a hold of me just before I turned 18. And I went to a church. And uh, at the time, I'd, I'd been on drugs and, and all that. And, and I, I came to Jesus and, and was born again. And I went to church and no kidding, I had a... I had a um, I had a T-shirt on, had a pair of jeans on, had a pair of sneakers on. And I just figured the rest of my life, I have jeans, T-shirt, and sneakers. And I'd go to, and I slaps down in the seat. And I figured I'd be that the rest of my life. And nobody said anything about it. Everything's just fine. I thought, well, this first time I've been to church, they're not looking at me to see what I'm wearing and see if I fit in with them. They just like me. I said, that's cool. So now, fast forward to now, you know, I don't care who you are, where you're from, what your background is. Jesus loves you. This I know. And I love you. And I don't care if you don't look like me, act like me, smell like me, dress like me. It don't matter. I just love you. And uh, so on purpose, I had, I don't mind people like, people like um, Chuck getting on the stage because it's what, what, what signal am I sending? I just love people. And we're not a clothesline church. And we don't preach clothesline holiness. That means you got to dress a certain way. So, so how many, okay, if it's okay to wear a ring and you got one, but you don't like all 10 that he wears, or 15 or 20, that, when does it become unacceptable? And then who's going to be this, this Gestapo to check that out? Huh? And then, you know, i got my opinions about tattoos. Now, I won't let you see any of mine because I don't have any. I started to put a hint of something on one time, but just to pick on everybody. Uh, Joshua you got tattoos uh, show, show me a tattoo so Joshua leads my praise and worship well uh, uh, if you have a tattoo does that keep you from being used by God and I haven't asked Joshua why he got a tattoo and you know i talked to Chuck about his, ta- his tattoos but you know what the truth is I don't give a care if you got the character that loves Jesus, that's what I'm more interested in. I'm more interested in the inside the pot than the outside the pot. So, you know, comes to the I can say a lot more about that when it comes to the stage. You know, I, I want you not to cause people to lust. And somebody says, "Well, that's just showing value." Well, you can say what you want about the value. I value people. I value a person's heart over the outside. How many hear me? So. Um, anyway, I got a lot to say about that. So here we go. Let's keep on here. Uh, what do you allow? Why are you allowing that spirit to continue in the church and on the platform? That's why. Because I want people to know I love people. And that's the way it is with me. And, and if that's wrong, then i tell you what I'll do. i stand before Jesus. And i say, Jesus, here's why I did that. Talk to me about it. And I've asked him to talk to me. And I don't personally, for me, it's not a problem. If it is with you, come and talk to me. How many hear me? And so, um, anyway, in the next part of this, the disruption of people on their cell phones and scrolling through Facebook and texting is really out of control. We come to experience the presence of the Lord, and this is disrespectful to the Holy Spirit and also to you. So here's the person on the back flip side of this is decrying people looking at Facebook and texting. I really don't know what people are doing on their phones. My encouragement is don't be looking at Facebook when you're in church. Yes or no? But what I do know, uh, in fact, I saw Mira while looking at her phone Sunday morning, sitting on the front row. And Mira told me she was taking notes. And I do encourage people to look at my notes while I'm preaching because you can find them on Version. yes or no. And I'm sure there's probably somebody going to violate that. Well, parents, you ought to oversee your children and tell them not to be looking at their phone while they're in church, right? And parents, you don't need to be looking at anything but the Word of God. Some people are looking at their Bible. So be careful about making a judgment about what somebody's doing with their phone. I could say everybody cut your phone off, but I haven't done that because we even have, we have my notes on the phone. We have my notes on different places and people have, I mean, I, I mean, for crying out loud, my notes are on my iPad. All right. How many get that? So this person goes on and say, why well, come to church and be on your phone? Or here's another color for an hour. When the rest of us want to come and receive and experience the Lord like we crave and are hungry for. Um, and then that person went on to say the ones in leadership are the ones too who need to put their phones away. Well, maybe you don't know what they're doing with their phones. So to me, that's a judgment that, you know, if you got a problem with somebody being on phone, go up and ask them about it. You might find something you didn't know. And then here's a person. Uh, where's Amber? Amber, stand up. Where's a- Amber? Stand up. Everybody say hi, Amber. Now let me tell you, Amber and, and Amber's married to Chuck. Is that true? Yeah. So, <laughs> so, so, when they came to our church, I, um, you know, she came up to me a few years ago and uh, and she said, "You mind if I draw?" I said, "Well, uh, why you want to draw?" And she said, "Well, when I'm listening to you, the Lord speaks to me and." And I'm just this artsy kind of a person, and I get stuff, and it helps me to concentrate. Believe it or not, it helps me concentrate, and it helps me. I said, well, that's not the way I do life. I didn't exactly say that to you, but I thought, well, that's not the way I do life. But I thought, you know, it won't bother me any. So I let her do it, and it don't bother me now. So if it bothers you, go talk to her. How many get that? There's some churches that actually have an artist up there while the preacher's preaching. They're all big, beautiful picture of the sermon. I mean, I guess that's okay. Now, we haven't done that here. And if the Lord speaks to me, I'd probably do it. But, you know, the issue is uh, love other people where they're at. And don't expect everybody to be like you. How many get that? I mean, so, you know... Here's what happens, you know, you come from a big family. We had six people in my family. I have four children, Susan and I. Here's what you got to know. You got to have a lot of latitude. If you're going to get along with people, Susan and I have been married 40 years this year. You know what was the been the success of our relationship? I let her be her. And she lets me be me. And I love her and she loves me. And I learned real quickly with four children, Dude, you better figure this thing out real quick. They're not cookie cutters. You can't put a cookie cutter on each child. They're gonna dress different, think different, respond different. And if you don't if you don't understand that, you're gonna have problems as a parent. And I did have problems in the initial stages and God had to straighten me out. How many get it? So in the local church, here's what I know. Everybody's on a page when you come in. What is your church page? It's what you've experienced in your life. You may have come from a real religious church. Everybody wears suits and every button's buttoned up and they got a tie on and they got a hat on and they got eel skin shoes on and they're smelling really pretty and everything's just wonderful and everybody's gotta be just that way. Or you may come from a church and they're hippies. I don't know. So what I do know is whatever you've experienced in the past, you're trying, to, you're trying to compare everything with your past experiences. What I've learned is if I want to get along with people, take my page and just, and just shut the book. And I'm going to live today. And I'm going to do what's right. So I got a big old page at Victory Church. And you can come and be you. You might want to come with your hat and your suit and your tie. And your eel skin shoes. or you may want to come with your jeans and your T-shirt and your sneakers. I personally don't care. How many get that? So you know, just gotta just gotta figure it out. So anybody got thoughts and questions? Let's go. We, I'm, we're about done. We're really out of time, but I'll go. I'll fudge a little bit. Can we fudge? Go ahead. Who's got? Go ahead. Any comments, questions? Anybody? What's that? Oh, thank you. God bless you. Thank you. Who else? Yeah, go ahead, bro. Yeah, you got to have that. You can't hear him, promise. So this is Chuck. Say hi, Chuck.
1: So just kind of going off that, obviously I don't care what anybody thinks of me except my wife and my, my Savior. That's all I care. I don't care what anybody else thinks. I never have and I'm totally comfortable with the way I look, which is why I told Mitch yesterday, sure, I don't care, I'll get up. Um, if you're not, I feel for you because I am totally happy. Um, you, people don't know me, whoever wrote that, you don't know me. My wife are about to have her 27th anniversary. Um, she's been teaching Sunday school for 12 years. <clears throat> our son's about to graduate NC State. So anyways, you're missing out on life if you're making those judgments, but I just want to point this out just to build on what you said. Um, a while back, somebody came up to, a child, my wife teaches here. She works with Rocky over there. She teaches. Somebody came up, a little child came up, and this is the second church in a row that this has happened, the same thing. But the child came up to her and said, Miss Amber, she's like, that looks like a tattoo. Or the child said, that's like a tattoo on you. And Amber said, yeah, it is. And the child's response to her was, well, I thought all people with tattoos are bad. So somebody's teaching their kids that. And, and I just, I feel for that person and I pray for that person. But that happened in this church and it happened recently in this church. And I just, I appreciate Mitch, you bringing me in here and talking to me. And I appreciate what you just said. Um, and, and, and those of you who don't feel that way, let's, let's believe together for somebody who's raising their kid that way.
2: Hmm.
0: So let me, let, me, let me broach an issue here. Can we do this? So tattoos. What about Christians and tattoos? You know, I thought one day I might just go and get me one of those little rings and stick it through my nose. <laughs> and preach one Sunday. <laughs> I'm joking. I'm not going to do it. I like to joke. Uh, You know, I mentioned Sunday. My body is the temple of the Holy Ghost, yes or no? So to me, for me, this is my value system based on my convictions that come from the Word. I don't have a right to do what I want to with my body. It ain't my body, it's His. I've been bought with a price. And I'm to give glory to God in my body. So for me, I'm not going to get a tattoo because my value is it ain't my body that I'm tattooing. It's the Lord's body because He's in me. Now, you may not have that value, and you may absolutely disagree with me. And while I'm saying that, you're sitting there, well, I got me a tattoo. You got one around your neck. You got one on your back. You got one on both arms. You got one on your rear end. You got one on your leg. You got one on your toe. I don't care. I mean, I don't care why you got it, when you got it, or where it's at. That's not my business. That's yours. That's a cultural issue with the United States of America and people here, How many hear me? If the culture wasn't doing it, most people wouldn't do it. People follow the culture. If the culture, if everybody dyed their hair chartreuse, then everybody have chartreuse hair. Right? If the culture, if everybody was bald-headed like me, everybody be bald-headed if the culture did it. So cultural trends happen everywhere. So I've got to be careful that I don't become Mr. Gestapo in what I allow or disallow in somebody else's life. And I can't judge somebody else based on, on my convictions. I judge them according to the Scriptures. I know what the Scripture says, but what if a person's not where you're at yet? You know what? The truth is, um, I see a lot of people doing a lot of things that I don't think they ought to be doing, but I'm not the Holy Ghost. And, and I'm not supposed to be. I'm supposed to let the Lord. And let me share this. Uh, uh, I love this. When I was young, Lester Sumrall was one of my mentors. He died in 1986, and uh, at age 83. And uh, back in the 1950s, there was a revival in the Philippines. You've heard me say this. I mentioned a Sunday morning sometime back, but uh, for those that didn't hear it, I'll repeat. So, um, so anyway, there was a big revival. A lot of people got saved, and in the Philippines, the men were. Uh, practiced polygamy, had several wives, and they also had cockfight, rooster fights, and uh, and they would gamble over them, you know. And so a bunch of people got saved. And the staff team on the in the church said, "You need." And, and they found out the people were coming, and the men would bring their three wives with them to church. And they went up. Lester Sommerall said, "Aren't you going to say something about that guy? He's got three wives. He's bringing them to church. <laughs> what you going to do?" And here is a guy spending all of his money and and, he, and he, at, the, at the chicken fights. And I just love And I was a little boy. I was in my early 20s when I heard this. It blessed me. He said, he looked at that person. And said, Don't you say a word to him. If God can save him, he can clean him. Let the Holy Ghost do it. And then he said, sometime later, a little bit at a time, different time space for different people. But the guys would come up and say, hey, pastor, I got a question. I said, you know, I got three wives. I, I feel like something inside me is telling me I should just get rid of two and keep one. He said, follow that. And I just love that. And there's another person said, you know, something's telling me I don't need to waste my money at the chicken fight, cock fight, whatever. And, uh, And he said, follow that. So, see, that's what you want to do. And what I know is, if you'll come here for a while and let the word get inside you, it'll change you. And if your behavior's wrong in any way, God will mess with you. How many hear me? I mean, since I've known Jesus, it's my 43rd year. He's cleaned up my mouth. He's cleaned up my mind. He's cleaned up my motives. He's cleaned up my heart. And he's still cleaning me. I'm a big fish. He's got a lot of cleaning to do with me. i got a lot of scales that still need to fall off. How many hear me? I mean, he's still working in me. If he's not working in you, then then you might not be his child. Yes or no? Because he'll change you. But don't expect other people to have your values, you know, just Johnny on the spot, just right away, and they haven't known the Lord the way you have. How many get it? So how many know, everybody say latitude. You've got to give a lot of latitude to people. That doesn't mean that you condone sin, and that doesn't mean you condone doing things that are wrong. Now, sin is like yeast. It'll get into the whole back. You put yeast in your, in your flour, and it gets into all the dough, and that's what sin will do. There are certain kinds of sins that we have to deal with forthrightly, and I do as a pastor. The other things, by nature of what they are, you just got to give people space and grace, or you'll run everybody off. Yes or No. Questions. Come on. Yeah.
1: Pastor, I have um, just and I want to say this as kindly as I can, because that note when you read that, that was grievous. A couple of things in there, it's like, you know, the, whoever wrote the note, thank you for writing the note, but you address like us people were talking mm. that can be construed as gossiping about people that are here, the leadership team and people that are also serving. And the other part of that is like why can't we be concerned about the service instead of worrying about everyone else when we're sitting in here? Hmm. So that's just a pastoral encouragement to everyone. And, um, yeah, that's all I'm going to say.
3: We've got a question that came in from
1: online. Then I'll, I'll hand you the mic. It's a, I think it will be a fairly brief question. Um, they asked, where is it that tithing was in place before the law?
0: Well, tithing started at the Garden of Eden. Cain and Abel both. One gave the first fruits of the ground. The ground had a curse on it, hence it wasn't accepted. The other gave a fir- the first fruits of his animals. He was a husband, husbandry, animal husbandry. He gave an animal, first fruit of his flock. That's a tithe. Somehow God evidently taught Adam and Eve the principle of the tithe. When you give first fruits to God, He blesses everything else. So that transcends the law. The law was hundreds of years later. So I could go out, give a lot more explanation, but there you go.
2: I'd like to just comment just briefly. Um, I've noticed, Pastor Mitch, several times in life you use the word, I don't care, mm-hmm. just don't care. Mm-hmm. Where does the part of a shepherd, of you shepherding your people, bring the word in, I don't care? Okay, can I address that? Well, let, let me finish. Okay. Um, I, I'm pretty grieved about those three words. I don't care. I don't care. Yeah. Um, and I, I've, I've, I have no problem with Chuck. Chuck can dress the way Chuck wants to. I don't understand the way Chuck dresses. I don't know why Chuck dresses that way. Um, uh, you know, we, are, we, we talked about it the other day. I don't understand why guys want to wear earrings. I don't understand none under of that stuff. But what grieves me is as our shepherd... Mm-hmm. You're saying you don't care. Do you understand what I said when I said I don't care? You didn't make a definition to it. I know, itself. because I thought you could understand well, it. Well, all I'm saying is when you say you don't care, mm-hmm. you're telling me you don't care. No, what I
0: said, okay, let me let me rephrase it for you, because... To me, I say things a certain way, and hopefully people can sometimes read between the lines when I say, I don't care. If you know my character and heart, you know I'm saying, I'm not going to allow that to bother me. How many understood that? Raise your hand. How many think that I literally thought I don't care about you? If you think that, raise your hand. Out of me saying, I don't care. Would you please raise your hand? Because, you know, we speak in colloquialisms and we use expressions and phrases. And we do that because, you know, there's just a there's just a way of living, a way of thinking, a way of speaking in our culture. If I was in uh, Africa, if I was in India, I wouldn't say it that way. But because I'm in North Carolina, I can say it a certain way. So when I say, I don't care, I could rephrase it. The parenthesis is... I'm not allowing that to bother me right now. Is that saying I don't care about people? Well, if you know my character, you know I deeply care about people. I weep over you guys, and I pray for you every single day. And if you've got a problem, I'm here to help. If you're sick, I'm ready to believe God with you. If you've got an issue with something in life, I'm there to help you. I'm there to stand with you with my faith. But for me to say I don't care and for you to interpret it, you mean you don't care about me? You know I'm not saying that. And if you don't know I'm saying that, you need to come and talk to me. So Rick, you need to come and talk to me because I love you like I love everybody else. And you know what I mean when I say I don't care. How many get it? Anyway, that sounds kind of strong. I'm sorry, but I don't care. I mean, I'm sorry. (laughs) Y'all, come on. <laughs> anyway, who else got something? Yeah. Hey,
3: Pastor. I, just to address something here that I, it struck me this week because of hearing some of the things that we've heard tonight. But there was a moment here. I, I started coming here in 2010, and I can say when I walked in the door that if what was on the inside of me was hung around my neck or displayed on me in tattoos and rings and anything else, I'm sure you wouldn't have associated with me in the way you have. But I was praying this week and this came up to me is, is the outward appearance of a redeemed person any more important than the inward appearance of a redeemed person? And my conclusion is the outward is a visual clue that the person is continuing to transform into the image of Christ and is on display to let us, the body of Christ, know, I need Jesus, I have him, he wants me, I'm a work in progress that isn't perfected. The inward requires a more in-depth look with discernment and interaction to even begin to understand the interior condition of God's holy temple within them. And I say this based on my own experience. And I say that out of love to anyone in here. We all have struggles and we've all been wounded. But I can tell you that most of us that have come to Christ, if we had to hang around our neck what we've been through and what's on the inside of us when we first become redeemed, I guarantee you there's people sitting in this room today that would not look at each other the same way. So I, I caution anyone when you're looking at the outward to think about have you had a conversation and gotten to know the inward.
0: That's true. Can I read this? Uh, when I read this card, in fact, this uh, scripture came to me. In fact, I was praying, uh, uh, Mon- I think it was Monday, a red card. Anyway, Matthew 23, here's Jesus. And Jesus' greatest denunciations were to the Pharisees in the New Testament. And the Pharisees, here's the issue. Um, it's a really odd thing. But all through history, um, the people that it seems to be, the people closest to God, are often the ones that won't accept it when he does something new. I came uh, to the Lord in the midst of the charismatic movement, moving of the Holy Spirit in the denominational world in the mid-70s. And y'all, the Pentecostal denominations by and large, almost completely rejected the charismatic movement—Pentecostal Holiness, Assemblies of God, Church of God, etc., and those like that. They wouldn't even accept it because they didn't because they didn't dress right and they didn't look right, and they missed the whole thing. And uh, and if we're not careful, the next thing God does, we'll mess up. It's funny the people that are closest to what God does are often. The ones that are not included. So here's Jesus' day, the Pharisees. They were strict adherents to the letter of the law. And I mean, eye for eye, tooth, I mean, they were for it, you know. And they took it to the extreme, and he had his greatest denunciations to them. Listen to uh, Matthew 23, 25. What, um, what sorrow awaits you teachers of religious law and you Pharisees, hypocrites, You're so careful to clean the outside of the cup and the dish, but inside you're filthy, full of greed and self-indulgence. You blind Pharisees, first wash the inside of the cup and the dish. Then the outside will become clean too. What sorrow awaits you, teachers of religious law? And you Pharisees, hypocrites, you're like whitewashed tombs, beautiful on the outside but filled on the inside with dead people's bones and all sorts of impurity. Outwardly, you look like righteous people, but inwardly, your hearts are filled with hypocrisy and lawlessness. Woo-wee. And you know what my experience of life is? I've had some people that look, had, I mean, they're looking right on the outside, but they're full of pride. They're full of anger. They're full of uh, self-indulgence. They're full of lust, and, but nobody knows it because they look so nice. A lot of our politicians are that way. You can look nice, but you ain't nice inside. That's what Jesus is saying. So I'd rather, yeah, I know. So I would rather, I'd rather be around a person that looks strange on the outside. But you know what, y'all? When I got around Chuck, I like that guy's heart right there. I might not agree with all the other, but I like him. I like him. Amber's, I like Amber. I like, you know, I like, I like Bo. I do. I like Al. You know, if I get to know you, I just like you. And that helps me look past the, the rappings. So maybe you don't like my bald head. That's my bald head. You don't have to mess with it. I do. But how about my heart? right, go ahead. What you got?
1: Okay. So this is like a totally different note, if that's all right. Okay, Um, cool. And I was wondering what your thoughts are on predestination.
0: Predestination as to?
1: Um, Salvation?
0: Yeah. Yeah. Well, predestination is... is, uh, The act whereby God knows the future before it happens. What? Let me tell you what it isn't, and that'll show you what predestination is. We are predestined to be saved because we're in Christ. God chose us from the foundation of the world. So a lot of people think that you can only be saved. For instance, the Calvinist would believe that you can only be a certain section of strict religious Calvinist, I might add would say that you can only be saved if you're predestined to be saved. So there are a section of people that are predestined to be saved and some predestined to be lost. And if you're predestined to be lost, you can never be saved. If you're predestined to be saved, you can never be lost regardless of what you do. Well, that doesn't sync with Scripture. Predestination doesn't do away with free will. Because I can come to Christ if I choose to. God draws all of us. Some of us make the choice and some don't. Somebody said the same sun that melts wax hardens clay. So the dealings of the Holy Spirit do different things with different people. Predestination is God's foreknowledge of what you're going to do. Does that mean you don't have a will? No, it means he knows what choice you're going to make. Does that crimp or hinder your ability to make the choice? No, but, but because he's all-knowing, he's omniscient. That means he knows what you're going to do ahead of time. He knows who's going to be in heaven and he knows who's going to be in hell. But he still lets you make the choice and that doesn't hinder your will from working. Does that make sense? So anybody that tells you, well, I'm predestined to be saved regardless of what I do, I'm going to heaven. That's not correct with the New Testament teaching even of Jesus. And we'll get into that. Does that help? All right, next. Yeah. Go, bro. Everybody say, hey, Cameron. He needs the microphone. Yeah. Everybody okay?
3: Hey, hey. All right.
0: Uh, Me and
1: Lindy were hanging out with a couple of friends last night, and this person could not be here tonight, so if. Is it being streamed online? Uh, okay. Yeah. So she, she wanted me to ask this. What's your thoughts on cremation? I know you've briefly kind of went over it, and she wanted you to kind of, what's your thoughts on it?
0: Well, okay, so people are cremating today. It's based on a financial decision, not necessarily spiritual decision. So I've had to back up as a pastor and, and assess what I'm going to do and what I believe. I have certain belief system about cremation. I've read a good bit about it. I've gone to the um, mortuary, I've gone to the morticians because they deal with dead bodies every day. And I say, okay, so, and here's what I found out. About 60% of people or maybe more than that now are in America are cremated at death because it's cheaper to burn that body than it is to embalm it, put it in a casket, buy the casket, then now buy the ground to put the casket in. Now all the prices have escalated even to put a casket in the dirt. Because people are choosing to um, to uh, um, cremate instead of embalm the body, so you know it's a financial decision in america it's going to cost you according to how much the property costs uh, unless uh, to to bury someone ten to fifteen thousand dollars i've buried both of my parents and both of susan's and i've uh, attended over seventy funerals so and I often will go with a family to um, to the uh, uh, to the place and and we'll help them pick out caskets and help them go through the financial lists. And so I, I understand all of the fees. And I basically know what it costs to cremate someone. It's a lot cheaper than than um, embalming the body. I understand that. and A lot of people have no choices. I've, I've had some really sad things I've seen. I don't have time to tell you about it. Just really sad because people just didn't have the money. So uh, in the past 10, 15 years, it's become in vogue particularly in America, to cremate. Uh, the hist- history of cremation is not nice. It's a pagan ritual. And the history of embalming a body and placing it in a casket or placing it in a grave is, uh, is really the history of Judaism and the history of Christianity and, and, and others as well. Uh, the Egyptians, they, they preserved the uh, remains of the deceased because they believed in an af- afterlife. They didn't believe in our God, so they put fruits and vegetables and all kinds of stuff in there and clothes for the afterlife. believing well, that person you know, is going to use that body again somehow. But us as Christians, Jews and Christians particularly, we believe in the resurrection of the dead. And uh, Joseph gave command concerning his bones coming out of Egypt, going back into Canaan's land, with his family ancestry uh, because, he wanted, because he wanted to be there with them. He wanted his, his, his physical body to be there. So, so anyway, so, so the spiritual part of, um, of uh, what to do with the remains of a deceased, if you're a believer, we embalm the body because we believe in the resurrection of the dead. Now my dad, for instance, told me, son, you create my body, don't be wasting that money on a casket. So when he died... My mother and I were sitting there in the, in the room, and uh, I said, what you going to do, Mom? She said, we're going to embalm that body. I said, okay, we'll do that. Daddy, Daddy don't have a say. He's gone. He's in heaven. So we embalmed his body. I did my daddy's funeral. I watched him close the lid. I saw his body for the last time. I cried. They played taps. He was a military guy, and I cried my eyeballs out. I watched the casket down in the ground. While it's going in the ground, I'm thinking, one day a trumpet's going to sound, and there won't be a bugle. It'll be at the trumpet of God, and my daddy's going to get up out of that casket. My daddy's body will. He's in heaven now, but his spirit's going to reunite. So that's my personal conviction. I've been to India 17 plus times, and I've actually on the Ganges River seen funeral pyres where they lay a deceased person's body on a bunch of, on a bunch of uh, flammable materials, lay it on top of them, flowers and lays are all over, and they like that thing. And they burn it to the gods. So, I mean, I've seen it all, and so what I don't, and so I have my personal convictions. So my personal conviction, if you got the money, I mean, do the casket thing, and put the body in the ground. And if you just can't do that, I'm not gonna fuss with you about it. It's a matter of conscience. You gotta follow your heart, Follow your conscience. And so because things are the, you know, it takes a lot of money to die in America. So can I encourage you to get life insurance? Thank you. Yeah. You know, it don't cost a lot for a $15,000. You know, my mama's got a, no, I shouldn't tell y'all all that. My mama's got a, my dad bought my mama a policy years ago and I still make, we pay for it once a year. But when she dies, her body's going in the ground because I got the money, or well, we got the money anyway, but I got the money to do it. See what I'm saying? So be smart, and if you're new and you're young and you get getting married, you're gonna have babies, get you some insurance and put some insurance on your children. How many hear me? Because it's not cheap, it's not cheap to die in America. Yeah. Oh, I'm sorry, that's right. Both of Susan's parents, I ain't buried my mama yet. Thank you, I stand corrected. Thank you for correcting me. Don't tell my mom I said that. You can tell her. You can tell her. she probably watching. Hey, Mom. Probably watching. <laughs> yeah. So uh, anyway, y'all, I got some really horrible stories. Um, this one was tough. Here's an 18-year-old boy. He had mental problems. Um, it was, oh, he was, he was the sweetest guy you'd ever meet. And uh, he got pneumonia and, uh, and died. Suddenly in the hospital. And I went to the hospital and, oh, he was still laying on the table where he died. It broke my heart. Parents crying. I'm crying. And when I talked to the parents, and this is when I lived in Tulsa, you know what they said? (sighs) We can't bear him. We don't have any money. I say, have insurance? Well, no, we didn't buy any insurance. Well, guess what? That's the first time. That's the first time I had to put somebody I knew and loved in a pine box. that the funeral home had for people that didn't have any money because you didn't cremate in that day so ever since then i've encouraged if you're a young person my daddy taught me before i got married get you some insurance son have some on you have some on your wife it doesn't take a lot of money but it's wise and then when you have children have some writers for every child so if something does happen and you believe in god nothing will but if something happens and the devil gets in and one of them dies, you don't want to go under financially because something bad happened. How many hear me? Prepare to live, but be ready for anything. How many get it? If you need some help with that, come and see me. I don't sell insurance either, by the way. <laughs> Just <saying. laughs> Thank you. Yeah, go ahead. Man, we got to stop. Who's got? Go ahead. All right. Hey, guys. Uh, so, What's your name? Uh, Robbie. Lissara. I knew that. I wanted them to hear it. Everybody say, Hey, Robbie.
1: Uh, so, in Matthew first, the first chapter, it talks about the lineage of Jesus Christ, right? Lin- yes. And it starts off from Abraham. It goes all over to Jacob, who is the father of Joseph, who marries, Mar- Mar- who marries Mary, right? Yes. Well, in Luke 3, it yes. talks about Joseph yes. being the son of Heli, H-E-L-I, I don't know how to pronounce that, Heli. Yeah. So, how he can yeah. be the son of Jacob and the son of H- Haley, and then... In that, in, in Luke, goes, starts from Joseph all the way down to Adam, who is the son of God. Mm-hmm. But in Matthew, it starts up with Abraham yep. goes up to Joseph.
0: One of them is covenant. The other, one, one shows him as the son of man. The other shows him as the son of God. It clearly says it if you go read the genealogy. I got a lot more to say about that, but it's kind of detailed and take a long time. Come and see me afterwards. We can talk. So it's kind of cool. The genealogies are there for a reason. Yeah. Hey, Chuck. Love you, (laughs) bud. Very quickly. um, Why do you believe some in our church who who have been taught on worship and praise and who may know the songs that are sung still do not respond or consistently respond in worship and praise on Sundays and or Wednesdays? Are you talking to him or me? So, why do people who know the songs don't respond? Yeah, and they just sit, sit there like they're not worshiping? Oh, uh, let's see. They could have had a bad day and they're thinking about how awful their boss talked to them that day. They could have had a, a, a spat with their mate, their spouse. Uh, they could be having problems with a child who failed, um, who failed math for the fourth time. Uh, let's see. Um, I'm just saying, that, how many have had to deal with that in church? Uh, stuff. You know, stuff in life happens, and so we don't often concentrate the way that we should. We're preoccupied with things. Sometimes we have to force our minds. Uh, other people come from a denominational church like me. The first time I ever went to a church like ours, you know, I'm 6'3". I went to the church. I used to live in, a, in the country and we had cornfields all around my house and I used to, as a boy, I'm just an unusual person. I lived in the country. I would go through the cornfields and make a little maze, you know. It was kind of fun. And then my friends and I, when I was real little, we would play army and, you know, he's the bad guy, I'm the good guy, vice versa. And so the corn, I'm thinking about corn, right? So when I get to a spirit-filled church where they're worshiping the Lord, they're raising their hands. So the first time I go on a Sunday uh, I'm in the pew I have pews in this church and uh, everybody's got their hands raised up I've never been in a church that raised their hands and I thought I'm in a cornfield (laughs) I'm not kidding I couldn't get my hand up above my head because I've never done all that, you know. So, but that was my conditioning. So people have been conditioned different ways. I notice on Sundays we got visitors come in and they've never experienced lifting hands. I mean, what are you going to do if you're a Catholic or an Episcopalian or a or Presbyterian? You come to a church like I was like, what are you all doing? What's all this? You know, and if people have been taught, that's one thing. If they have been taught, they're probably preoccupied preoccupied with other things to haven't been taught it's brand new you just got to get used to i had to get used to once i did it's like i really experienced experienced the presence of god how many get that so that's basically it you know you know anybody ever had to fight to control your thoughts and get your obsessive mind off of whatever it's obsessing over all of us have it's a struggle to mess with our flesh y'all so how many know we need to give each other grace Anything else? It's late, y'all. I can't believe I went so long. Go ahead. What you got? Say it again. Say it in the thing.
1: Sorry, we had one question to come in that asked the survival address, organ donation.
0: Okay, so I think the uh, I think the category of this is okay. So at the rapture of the church, if your body gets raptured, okay. So let's talk about it this way. So if you get cremated, okay, and the rapture of the church, the body comes back. And the spirit comes from heaven. And then the corporeal substance, that means the physical substance of the body, changes and becomes a flesh and bone body like Jesus had when he was resurrected. If you burn the body and scatter the ashes in the ocean, where's the body that's coming back? Where's it coming back from? Okay? Or, Or like when I was young, I just met the Lord. Uh, here's an old couple in their eighties. This is a horrible story. Mid eighties, you know. I knew them all of my life. Before I even went to church, I knew them. I knew them like I'm in school. Uh, at church, I knew them. Age three, age four. Uh, old couple. They're in their car. They hit another car on the road near the college where we lived, and their car burnt up, and their their bodies were incinerated. It was awful. We didn't have cremation way back then. Not like we do now. So I often thought, man, what's going to happen to them when when Jesus comes back? Where that, where's that body coming from? Or, you know, used to, I don't know if they still do it, military would throw bodies in the ocean. They still do that? Yeah. Or somebody's decimated. Or how about the people at 9-11? They hadn't even found their bodies, Find a bone fragment, a tooth fragment. What about those people at the resurrection? So then also people who, well, one eye went over here, one eye went over there, kidney went over there, heart went over there, lungs went over there. At the rapture, what happens to that? How's God going to, well, he's a big old God. Can he take that dust that was scattered in the ocean and, can he do it? And I don't know if he needs to, can he take that kidney, that heart, that lung, that eye, that whatever, and make the original body? I think he can. So if I were you, I'd let God mess with that. And I'd just mess with getting there and being ready.